Welcome to today's episode of Geo, the podcast for geography and GIS lovers, brought to you from the Department of Geography of the University of Tartu, Estonia. The show is brought to you by your host, myself, Tahmin, and Alex. Hi, Alex. Hi, Tahmin. In today's episode, we want to talk about the GIS tools that have helped in COVID-19 data analysis in many ways. As we see in most of the newspapers and different websites, mostly people are looking at different maps uh, of how this COVID-19 is spread over or how it is spreading actually over the world. So it it has become a very, very important tool to uh, understand and look into. The current situation of this COVID-19 has also forced us to think about space in many ways. Mostly as we are in our home most of the time, we had to think about how we uh, divide our home space for different kind of tasks. But mm. at the same time, as uh, the virus is spreading all over the world, it has also forced us to think about how the global world itself is very much connected and all that domain, how uh, it falls under the domain of our understanding of geography or GIS itself. Uh, from the spread of the virus uh, to the proximity of uh, how this virus is going to be um, in future, everything is actually uh, somehow dealt with uh, within the domain of this geography and GIS. Mm. So, yeah, if we want to talk about some of the some of the major things that comes uh, when dealing with the space and the spatial analysis in terms of virus, there are a couple of histories uh, which already has given us some clue on how this has been dealt uh, before. One of the examples was in uh, 2010 in Haiti where there was an earthquake and there were very limited reliable geospatial data. Uh, So there were no road infrastructure data available or which areas were hit uh, by the earthquake uh, Mm -hmm. the most. Mm-hmm. So people came up uh, with different uh, projects with OpenStreetMap and they have contributed to create uh, this road infrastructure, the available road infrastructure existing in the current time. And then that helped in for Haiti at least to take uh, adequate steps to deal with yeah. the situation. Yeah. So, yeah, what do you think, like, especially... This is a very good example, because, I mean, OpenStreetMap is around for a while now. Right. But particularly in, in, a, in a country like Haiti, where the, where the available data, the official data, was, was not, not well developed, and uh, many volunteers came and, and digitized more of the country as they were also assessing the damages. So there was... There was a huge, um, really like a surge uh, of contributions to OpenStreetMap. And even though nowadays still there's, you know, gaps here and there in OpenStreetMap because it still is uh, maintained by the local community of who decide area. to decide to map or not to map their, yeah. their, their, where they live. But it was really, really, really helpful for the disaster response um, forces to to know to make sure to know where they have to go and how to reach there and which roads were not accessible and so on and so on yeah yeah that was that was uh, really good mm-hmm. 
also uh, when it came to this uh, this spread or spreading model of uh, COVID-19, I saw many of the places actually used uh, different kind of uh, special analytical tools, especially uh, within which uh, or how how uh, if uh, hypothetically if we create a certain area of a buffer zone and within that buffer zone, how many people if they are within that buffer zone can actually predict the the you know the spread. Uh, ratio in future uh, if they're moving uh, up yeah. from from that place so yeah that yeah. that also probably helps in many ways but do you know any any specific example where uh, for any country or uh, anything where this kind of analysis has been of course uh, all the all the educational or research uh, teams are using this kind of data but on very public level uh, is this kind of thing available it's, it's very curious it's very curious, even though there's a couple of, of action studies or like from King's College London, for right. example, who, who like did like a really um, full on study already published in order to predict, you know, um, the spread in the UK under different measures, you know, like uh, full lockdown or only a little bit quarantine right. or like the Swedish model that are, they're quite, quite relaxed. Right. Or New Zealand had a total lockdown and now New Zealand is supposedly is, yeah. Is, yeah, has hit. That's a good thing. That's a good news for the yeah. world. But then and they, they are lucky because they don't, they don't share any borders. So they literally could confine who comes yeah. in and comes out. Whereas in all the continental states, it's really difficult to, to maintain, you know, the border flow, the for example. Yeah. yeah. But the study, um, those studies, they are curiously, Non, non-spacious sort of. They, they don't, um, think so much. I mean, they, they might, they include a little bit on a coarser scale, but they, they are much more on a, on a sort of statistical level that, you know, like how, what's this, this, this uh, ratio under certain, um, circumstances. And those are then based on, on assumptions and, and social behavior, but they're not so much saying in this city, the spatial situation is different and so on. And, um, so far actually only in, in Estonia, I mean, of course it's our bias a little bit, but, mm-hmm. uh, because also we have this company positium and they actually looked at movement from, from where people from, um, infection sort of hotspots mm-hmm. have been an infection hotspot where over a course of time, also completely anonymized, only based on um, on the cell phone stuff. Right. In, in which other areas they also have been. So with this, you can sort of consider like a, li- a little bit connectivity. You can sort of, you know, because what what happened is that there was this volleyball game in Sarama. So there were attendees also from Vuru. Mm-hmm. And after Sarama, so people who were in Sarama were then later also in Vuru. And so there's the assumption that this is very likely that people from Buru were at that volleyball game and basically carried the virus out. Right. But in terms of prediction, where it will spread is is uh, is apparently quite hard because you never know where people will go. Okay. You can always okay. make some basic assumption from 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 typical flows where people move from from historical data from right. example data. 
because in most places you don't have so accurate per person data of movement like we do read like we have here in these actual GPS um, trials. But uh, as we understand, like uh, most of the countries are in, in emergency state right now, and in emergency state, regular laws don't tend to follow that much. And if with this GPS data, though probably that's, uh, that's gonna fall under many many types of privacy violations, but if yeah. using that GPS data, we can uh, easily predict the movement of people, especially uh, people who have been affected. Then wouldn't it, would, uh, wouldn't it have been better to to constrain people uh, or to stop the spread of the virus? Yeah, well, it's an interesting assumption. Like uh, the, the hypothesis, though, needs to take into account that only if they, in the state of emergency you start collecting the GPS data, right. the very person, so you cannot look back and say like what are their normal movements. So you cannot really use this to predict. Okay. So, and the other thing is in order to collect this GPS data, people still have to install an app on their phone or, okay. because the, while the data is collected or it's available on the phone, it's not easily available to somebody outside, for example, Google. So right. if you have an iPhone, Google cannot collect your GPS data. Right. Because you have an iPhone. So, and so this but makes... Sure. And anyway, a state cannot go to Google giving me all the GPS user data from from all my users in in my country. That there, I think that 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 would be because this is already quite personal data. I think this this hasn't happened. What has happened now is um, that the countries can ask their local telephone providers because this is this is like a country bound thing. Right. Give me these these telephone mobility information. This is these logs that is based on the phone ID that it shows up on this um, mask. On that yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So this is, you can relate a little bit and of course this can be anonymized proper, more or less, technically. But and uh, I, I haven't heard any countries using this kind of thing yet. We have, oh, we have, and where was that? In, in, I've read something in some places. Okay. Was it, I think was it in Hungary. Okay. Or, or in one one other country, and uh, so they did that, and they basically or was it in Greece? Maybe in Greece. And then they said like basically the people are spending twenty percent, uh, twenty hours of the day in the same place, mm-hmm. and then a few hours is when when there's some movement. So it's of course much less mobility, but there is still some mobility. Okay. Right. So, that's weird. so this is this is technically possible. And I think in Estonia they they can also do that. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was in Estonia. <laughs> Maybe I've read this on the Positium blog. I, I'm, I, I don't know. I can't. I, can, I don't remember. Uh, even yeah. e- even if it was say Estonian, then wouldn't it have been on the Estonian Corona map that we were looking into? This is again this thing with the land board. So the land board is, is one government body, uh-huh. and uh, it, it seems um, that they are really a little bit backward. That, that's what I'm saying. Like mm-hmm. this, so there are there are other streams in in the government and agencies that are very forward. I mean, all the um, health information is still within this Estonian 
national system. Yes. But but this uh, dealing with this corona crisis, uh, they haven't really shown, you know, like uh, to be very technologically forward. Right. But it is also a very common trend in in almost all the government in the in the world that different department of the government they are not well coordinated. So some department will take some decision, which mm-hmm. it oftentimes it, it happens that other dis- other departments some other decision is quite contradictory to that decision itself. So yeah, it's it's a common thing. I don't think it's an Estonian only problem. But of course, we'd we'd like it if uh, things were much more easier for us. And we are also talking about the availability of uh, this data, which. Should have been public, but uh, for certain certain amount of time, uh, uh, the data was not actually available to the public. At least the people who, you know, the number of people who were affected and mm-hmm. other data. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's another thing. Uh, I don't know uh, if it is the same for for all European countries, but uh, I remember from one of my class. Uh, one of the German professor, he was also saying that the usually which datas or data sets which should be public uh, for different kind of analysis, because of the German bureaucracy, they are very hard to gain. Mm-hmm. So uh, even though we are in a very, let's say, uh, quote unquote, modern world where everything is getting so digitalized and everyone is so much focused on smart city, digitalized city, Still, if, if the data, people are if struggling to get hold of the data, then uh, what do you say? How do you assess the situation of different countries? Let's say generally on the, on the unavailability of the data, at least open data. This is very different in different countries. Yeah. I mean, in, 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 um, in, a, in a wider aspect, this whole open data movement now, I mean, now in this situation of crisis, you can see obviously a benefit because, mm-hmm. um, it would be great if people can have quick access and don't have to go through organizational hurdles to like request data and, and so on right. and so on. But they can quickly. So there was this, uh, crisis hack, hackathon, and there's some others. And if you're then in this hackathon and then you have a great idea and you want to test it out, if you want to then have to write a formula, a, a form to, you know, request this type of data and then some officer and some agency, you know, next week on Wednesday, you know, starts to look at the form <laughs> and decides to authorize you or not. Right, right. So, you know, this, this won't work. Yeah. But so, uh, in general, this, this open data stuff didn't actually as much fulfill the the utopia basically that was sort of set out, whereas in, in science and, and research, also in teaching, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. very valuable. But I mean, it, the, the, the government or the, the government agencies that maintain these open data services, like we have here and in, in, in other places, this incurs cost, right? I mean, you have to maintain the service, you have to, yeah. people to work that the data goes in and so on and so on. And uh, the idea was that this creates opportunity also to create business so for businesses to take the raw open data and build refined you know services based on top right yeah. so um so this is sort of because everything costs something 
and even yeah, open data cost something. So, and the idea was then from the government side, then I wanted the, the return on investment. The idea is that they create businesses that you know actually do something with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, no, if, if it is beneficial, then then I think even economically, then the government had some kind of incentive to do that because I remember some of the um, GIS related companies uh, when this COVID nineteen breakout. They were providing some kind of solution uh, if the data were given for free, and especially for the developing world or uh, poorer countries, this can be actually very um, beneficial if they already have the data infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And I can say for my country, like uh, immediately many wrong decisions were taken, like. Uh, without uh, constraining the uh, movement, they actually allowed people to move from the capital to, to different uh, village areas or uh, uh, remote areas. So that immediately uh, spreaded the virus uh, on community level. But uh, I think if the data infrastructure was there, they, uh, this is of course false and the common sense that you shouldn't do that. But even after that decision was taken, probably the data was there some kind of movement data or this local uh, tele tele movement data, then uh, the virus could have been uh, stopped, uh, or it, 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 at least in a more effective level, because uh, the country started with uh, way less uh, infected people than Estonia, uh, but now it has reached more than I think six thousand affected people already. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and. Uh, yeah, it, it will, the number, sadly, the number will increase more, but uh, this is something for, for the government and, and the different governmental agencies to think about. Uh, so moving on, we had uh, another uh, organization, UNCAST, which are providing the social dis- distancing uh, scorecard. And oh, okay. Yeah, this is a very cool thing. So they have been providing uh, with a different statistical analysis this social distancing scorecard. So that means the toolkit. Yeah. So the, if the number is higher, then it's good. Anyway, mm. uh, but what do you think? Like uh, just for a backup discussion. Uh, yeah. What do you think? How how is this helpful? The social distancing scorecard. How is this helpful in any way? It, it, it looks really like uh, like. Sort of Heinkast, Beckast, um, analysis, not so much something to, useful to, to act up, to act upon for you as a citizen yeah. or something. It's more like, uh, okay, in this state, this has been bad. So the governor has to go and say, Hey, here we have to be more strict now. Mm-hmm. I think for, for this type of case, this is, okay. uh, maybe this is, uh, this is meant as such. Because okay, they look yes. at the, because they also, they look at the average mobility based on distance traveled. And then they have some inf- information where people, you know, came together, probably based on, you know, aggregation and, and, and where they came too close or something. Right. But you have to know, I mean, they, GPS is still quite coarse and, and this cell phone tower stuff is, is even more coarse. So we'd be mm-hmm. talking hundreds of meters. So, but if there is like, so and so many within the same sort of blurry region, then they might be able to, to, you know, you can enter, you know, this, uh, if you're between several towers, you can sort of, right. uh, try and try gonometrically sort of pinpoint a bit more general direction. 
knowing which area. So this is uh, okay. This is a uh, this is an interesting thing. But I think yeah, this is when I first heard like social scorecard. Then it's it's more like the to to know about how in your community the information you know like the the yeah is the social distancing is sort of yeah uh, abided you know and in in general so you can check if people in general are more more social distancing or less social distancing. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's 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 a good uh, way of putting this. Uh, from that, yeah. the social uh, distancing scorecard. We also have another another very important topic uh, of this COVID nineteen is social vulnerability. Yeah, that's and that's, this yeah. is very important in terms of uh, understanding how not only how the government should react on different areas particular areas which are and communities which should which might be more vulnerable to the uh, to the virus uh, mm -hmm. and it also questions the structure of different cities and areas because uh it's the you know if 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 more more of the densely structured areas uh, where People have lesser access to different open air and uh, say space. Basically, mm -hmm. they should be even if they are aware of the situation, they should be more and more uh, vulnerable to the virus because they don't have any option other than yeah. come in contact with people. Whereas uh, in a in a much more well maintained, richer area, probably people already have the adequate space. Uh, for each family, so it's it's it, it becomes very much easier for them to maintain the distance. Yeah. So of course it it then uh, gives the government a very clear idea where they should focus, uh, maintain the focus at first. But uh, again, I haven't particularly came across any cases where they were particularly looking into social vulnerability and then taking measures based on that. Uh, yeah. Um, in, in poorer countries or developing countries, uh, I think the only thing has been provided so far is different kind of um, food aid. Okay. Uh, I, I can say for my country and uh, in India as well. But that doesn't necessarily mm. help because people are still coming out of those areas uh, to collect food and then again going back. Yeah. So the so the chances of getting uh, or getting infected is still quite higher. Uh, Facebook I also saw is doing something uh, similar with different different corporations uh, like uh, anonymized uh, wide range high density population maps, social connectivity, co-location maps based on mm -hmm. mobile data and different things. But I think this is much more on a on a I don't know the particularly the organizations they are working with, uh, but it seems like it's still on a very much not open uh, or uh, in a more privatized uh, way of research sector. Yeah. So I don't know what was the final outcome will be of this. Probably this is, this can be used for some kind of uh, business uh, deal. At, at let me let me quickly go into the social vulnerability again. Uh -huh. uh, I I agree with you. I mean the the. The one thing is that the, the spread and um, sort of to predict because social let, let we talk like we talked actually last week that and in, in Brazil no maybe we were talking on Wednesday 
in Brazil, like for example, right. in, in these favelas, or but also in, in India and in, in, in the sprawl areas, where people basically on a daily basis live to either collect food or earn a few dollars or right. whatever, they, in order to get basically to fulfill their daily needs. Right. Because they, they don't have any stock of anything, so they literally no. have to go out every day to earn something to get their, I don't know, bowl of rice a day or something. Yeah. The countermeasures that the government have put in place, that they tell us to stay home in order to keep the spread low, um, it, it's, it's not an option for them there because they, they still have to, to live. I mean, they, they will not survive if they stay home for, for a couple yeah. of weeks. They, they cannot do that. Yeah. And, uh, this is a quite, this is a complicated problem, really. Yeah, it is, uh, because, like, of course, uh, most of these countries, uh, if you talk about Brazil, India, yeah. Bangladesh, they uh, don't have the infrastructure to, of course, they don't, uh, first of all, they don't have the data, like, where these, uh, especially, like, very vulnerable people are living, uh, mm. particularly. Then they don't have the infrastructure to provide, uh, food to, first of all, all of them. And even if they're providing, they don't have the infrastructure to send, uh, you know, uh, trained people on these matters or who are dealing on the very first baseline of this, uh, COVID-19 to go to their homes so that they don't have to come out of their mm. home who doesn't have any medical equipment or, um, say personal protective equipment. So uh, they don't also have that uh, kind of manpower and infrastructure to provide yeah. foods in their homes. So it, it becomes very counterproductive to, to you know just to say uh, just to say that uh, stay at your home yeah. and keep social distancing. It, it's never possible. Yeah, and the other thing, of course, is that in uh, social vulnerability, social vulnerability, <laughs> in terms of um, that. They don't also have the means to maybe protect themselves. I don't know, access to masks, access to medical services if they get sick. How, how should no. they deal, you know, with, how do they know that they don't just have like some other diseases or, or, or illnesses based on their bad living standards and mm-hmm. if it's the virus or not and their, their immune system and whatnot. Also the d- information that comes from, uh, different, uh, medias. Say, uh, in, 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 that information is based on, you know, certain, it has a certain linguistic, uh, that is much more, uh, understandable by more people who are educated mostly, at least a certain degree of education. But most mm-hmm. of the time, what happens in this developing world that certain amount of population are not quite educated, then they fail to process the information that has been, uh, say, um, provided through the different medias and TV channels because that information does not speak in a very easy manner for them to understand. And yeah. I particularly saw a, a, a video from my country where one person was, because he saw, uh, a very old person also, he saw on the TV that, you know, the virus itself is a kind of round ball kind of things. Yeah. And he was saying, yeah, it, it, I, I saw it. So someone asked him, like, uh, have you heard about this virus? And he was like, yeah, I saw it on TV and such a big thing. If that big thing enters into someone's body, he's definitely going to die. So for oh, him, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 
So for him, the information came in as like, you know, because they were trying to visualize the virus on the TV. And he thought this is a big chunk of a ball or something that forcefully enter a, a human person or something. So that was, that was, that is the condition. And that's strange. Yeah. yeah so that, that is, I mean, this is, yeah, it's, uh, how, how should he know? I mean, maybe he's not a scientist or, you know. No, of course not. Yeah. So yeah. for him, those, for governments, of course, to also consider that uh, there are different uh, types of people in every country and everyone yeah. needs different type of information for them to understand. Mm. And that ma- making that information available uh, in terms of this kind of, uh, say, disastrous time is also a very important task to achieve. Yeah, it's crazy. And at at last, uh, because we use so much, uh, everyone use uh, different kind of, uh, say, geospatial softwares like SV yeah. or TGIS, even Carto. All yeah. of them right now are providing uh, different tools, uh, both online and offline, uh, to analyze right. different kind of uh, COVID-19 data so that people mm. uh, can actually come up with different kind of analysis if they need. I haven't gone into details uh, looking up what kind of data are available, particularly in the different web pages. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, they, they are publicly available right now, at least, at least for the time being. The, the companies now, everything, of course, they, they all try to, um, be, I mean, understand it in a way. It's also, you know, to advertise their capabilities, right? Right, right. So, because, I mean, you put in a card that you're already in the show notes, which is, um, if I'm not mistaken, the Corona card in Estonia, if you look in detail, is actually a, is actually a carto board. Ah, okay. But this was basically a a carto was basically a carto mm-hmm. dashboard, and um, so that that is that is interesting because so because basically they do like a dashboard. It's not it's not quite the great spatial dash, dashboard, right? If you look at it, I mean, there's right. this, this type of of um, maps. Is the classic, there's some color plat map and, uh, there's just the basic shape of the, um, administrative units. In our case, it's the, the counties. And then there's the values associated basically on a purely, but basically, it's basically purely, you know, tabular. Right. Yeah. Um, I think all these analyses are, are very, uh, basic. Basically, they're basically information dashboards, yeah. you know, that, that is really what, 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 um, they do and, Whereas, you know, this, uh, COVID, this from, this map from the Johns Hopkins University, mm-hmm. this, this provides slightly more different, maybe more appealing, um, approach to, to the, to the map, you know, like you can see different countries and then there's, you know, the, the, the cartographic style. It's not, right, right. Core, it's not map because, um, it might be, you know, misleading or overloading. So they use these big circles in order to show where there's many cases and less cases. But in the end, it still goes down only again to be a pure information dashboard. Mm-hmm. There, there are no actual correlated interesting information where you would say, okay, can we now see, you know, a number of vulnerable people versus cases or areas, you know, like yeah. with actual, with actual, with actual spatial you know, approach that can help people 
more than just to know how many sick people, people there are, are yeah, in in, yeah, in yeah. their in their administrative units, sort of, you know. Right. right. Yeah, but of course, this can be mostly only like a more maybe on a national level where where the people know the the country and mm-hmm. special, you know, the local, let's say, economic differences like we talked about, or the um, not economic but also maybe social situation we know that in berlin for example you know that like in bigger cities you always have some uh districts that are you know problematic and you right. know and you really want to want to be able to, to compare that and like they did in estonia with the, the position for example company you would or also the, the human geography German geographers from our department who work together with position Right. Really looking at at um, the historical the historical mobility patterns of people, you know, like how, for example, how they looked in Tartu, they used this GPS um, uh, ex- exercise once for to see uh, what a change in the infrastructure in in the city, how that changed the mobility patterns of people in general, where they go to shops, where they go to work. Right. Where do they spend their lunch break when they go out for for, for lunch, for example? And um, when when the big museum was established outside of the city, it, it took really a large stream of the city, of the people that were mostly in the central area, basically exposed areas of the city to now more mobility because people now also go to this big museum and it spread it a bit out. So. What the consequences are, they're different. I mean, there's less people maybe in the city, but on the other side, there's more flow throughout the city, which makes other parts of the city more active. If we now look, if we now look back and, uh, if we would have now a more detailed information on where the corona cases are sort of located, mm. and then you could, for example, look, okay, those, the classic mobility streams in, in these areas, let's say even on the, on neighborhood block, you know that we don't go too much into the like, privacy of the people. That, right. That, that would mean in those areas, there's, and in some areas, there's not high flow, not high mobility, and in other areas, there are. And right. that means where you have to put the focus in and being more aware of the social distance. Right, right. For some of those things, or where to put those testing things, or those, you know, yeah, that, that or, where. Okay, then let's go into. Yeah. Uh, actually, we were still with Kato and Esri. So in Esri, as a little uh, anecdote in in Estonia, so ta- Esri is a really strong, economically strong, and a very marketing very strong. Right, right. So a lot of the success in the current establishment is not only based on the actual capabilities of the platform they provide, uh-huh. but also based on it's almost rude marketing strategies, um, so and and then you know a whole licensing setup and so in every uh, pretty much in every country they have like a few main um, sort of distributors, main partners who on Esri's behalf sort of are reaching out to the people and making sure people are using Esri products and well get, also get the service and the quality of course they're still the normal right. distributor so and they're the the main Esri partner in Estonia is uh, Alphagis. Uh-huh. Just recently, we basically had a meeting with them, and, uh, and you know, and he would, you know, give good offers and say, you know, 
improve this and this, and you would give us an update plan to ArcGIS Pro and, and so on. It was all discussion in office. It was like, right. And, um, and one of the things, of course, he, I wouldn't say he criticized, he um, suggested is, you know, why, why don't we do even more outreach in, in terms of showing maps, you know, we had a, you know, uh-huh. and, um, and at that time, it was just in the beginning of uh, Corona and uh, Esri itself didn't have, um, you know, Corona maps and those type of things. And, and this is something, I don't know, with, I mean, pushing through, through those ways. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, I think, we, I think, yeah, we made a simple um, map, but and this other web-based sort of uh, information dashboard. That, but the main problem in Estonia was actually, you know, accessibility to the data and right. to what extent. I mean, we have like what we have like uh, at that time we had like I don't know 100 cases in right in, 50, in the whole country. 50, yeah, in like maybe five or ten counties. Like, I mean, the the, the spatial detail, you know, that the show, I mean, to 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 what use, you know, to make more than just a simple car path map, here's some cases. That's not really going beyond the information, you know, that is available everywhere else. The only thing that we were interested in, uh, because there's, um, for example, we were talking about social vulnerabilities, we had, uh, there's some counties, and we have it actually on on uh, the, the even lower level, administrative level, on this sort of um, municipality level, mm-hmm. where we have uh, um, counties with, uh, or municipalities with a high concentration of old people, right. because it was this this risk that old people yeah. are more risky. More vulnerable. But then again, the le- the the health board didn't make the information uh, available at, at that level, only at county level. So you cannot. Okay. Aggregate downwards and, and build meaningful spatial analysis on it. So this is one of the things that, um, yeah, talking about all the cool things we can do with GIS, but there's a lot of, uh, also work necessary in terms of code. That needs to be done. Of, of, um, due diligence or, or, um, the, you know, the actual desire of the government agency to wanting to support it. Right. Yeah, but is it is it also true that uh, probably the people who are in particular positions to take these decisions, they are not uh, completely aware? Like, uh, say, probably the university doesn't have, uh, if I put it simply, have a lobbying person to pursue the government to, uh, you know, take uh, or make understand. Uh, the importance of this kind of data and yeah. the availability of the data, whereas probably uh, say Esri, uh, Esri is just an example. Any any more enterprise-based uh, organizations uh, might have this kind of uh, resource to put put uh, someone as a lobbying person mm-hmm. to pursue government, you know, to make available things uh, in in their way. So, yeah, I don't know how to deal with it, it even, like, um, especially for, for researchers who, who are working, they don't uh, have any, say, organized uh, decision-making uh, ability to pull, pull out this kind of thing where they can uh, yeah. push government to take some kind of decisions. Yeah, um, yeah, that's 
That's a good point. I guess it's sort of this never-ending story, really. Yeah. And again, the government would come. I mean, the, to, to what end? So, you know, what what's the benefit? Or right, right. And you would have to, you know, if, well, we just want to look at the data or something. <laughs> then it's not so compelling. And then, of course, now we have this crisis thing, okay? But yeah. but and now they're yeah, shuffling. Yeah, for the government, probably the crisis is not a regular state, so it's not that appealing even. Yeah, exactly. It's not. It's not. You know, it's just a. It's just a. Uh, an ex- ex- exception now, you know, like we don't. So here you go. Let's that also it. that also brought uh, one thing I just remembered is that I was looking into this uh, interview of a French, uh, I think uh, I don't know what is the exact scientific term, dermatologist or something. He oh. won, yeah, he won the Nobel Prize actually in two thousand eight oh, okay. for for the discovery of AIDS. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and he was uh, saying in the national uh, international television that uh, this uh, COVID nineteen has very much uh, genetic uh, resemblance of AIDS, and he is quite uh, certain. But he just uh, only looked into the model, like the virus model of uh, through a uh, through a computer, but uh, mm-hmm. haven't done any particularly lab test. But from his experience of working with AIDS for so many years, he's quite certain that it is kind of um, constructed. It's not natural. It's really yeah. There's, there's some some this uh, there's some ongoing discussion also uh, today also in the, in the news again. There was an, another one who of course um, contented and said that now. It is natural because the U.S. also really likes to say that it's yeah. Uh, but that I, I was skeptical about the U.S.'s point of view because they they always tend to make things very you know politically whatever yeah. goes to their their favor. But uh, this French guy as he probably doesn't have any. Of course, we don't know if he has yeah, any yeah. backing from U.S. or not. But as he was, uh, his idea is is. is not his hypothesis at least is not that it uh, has been created as a bio weapon rather probably the, the Wuhan uh, uh, you know this virus lab they were trying to create some uh, uh, vaccine for AIDS actually yeah the the protocol of that lab was not so strict so somehow the virus got spread yeah that, that's what I also read that that um that they they used um, yeah so there, there, there's some there's this French guy exactly the French guy is now also a bit debated but on the other side yeah it's I mean we have to see what the scientific consensus becomes yeah study it but yeah that there are similarities between uh, HIV and uh, some some genetic strains within the SARS-CoV-2 uh, right. virus. Which which might indicate that um, there was uh, the different streams that they were discussed. Like one was mm-hmm. that um, yeah, like that there was part of uh, an experiment to developing something to cure AIDS or as a vaccine for AIDS. Yeah, another uh, this was probably the most pre- prevalent, really. Yeah. Right. Let's move to the next segment. We can. Uh, Summarize a couple of uh, research articles that uh, from the last weeks. Yeah. And I found um, again 
several ones again, of course, from our uh, even mm -hmm. uh, geography perspective. You know, as we're currently within that scene, really, just a few there. This time they're all open access, as it seems. So, and so the first one uh, is actually an agent-based model mm -hmm. uh, on the case study of influenza spread. So those are the types of um, models that are they're sort of partially spatial. Um, so agent-based modeling is uh, also really already long-term sort of um, well understood. Well understood. Okay, just um, for, for let me interrupt you for a minute. Yeah. Moment. Yeah. Uh, when when they say like the agent-based model, what yeah. do you mean by mean by the agent? Is it the agent whoever is getting the Influenza or uh, virus or bacteria? no? Exactly. So, so the point the point making here is is about um, agent based modeling means that agents are um, all all basically all major participants in the process. Okay. Okay. So you can go down to see that the agents basically that that human mobility. So not a particular human, but the humans, how they, you know, walk around, they are at home, they are modeled as so-called agents, yeah. and so then you start the system with, I don't know, a hundred or a thousand agents, and you, for each agent, there's sort of basically a, a, a rule book, uh, how these agents interact in the system. Right. And then what they do, and then what happens if they, I don't know, if they come close, how they interact with each other, or, you know? Yeah. And based on that, if you if you have the rules proper, you can you can sort of basically modeling actual real processes. Mm. So of course, of course, human processes is, is, is very um, useful because I mean you, because humans tend to do certain things and then they go somewhere and do something, and this causes an in interaction with the system and changes the state of the system. And so the process, the overall process that you are looking at. For example, virus spread mm -hmm. uh, can be modeled by modeling the individuals as sort of uh, individual parts of the overall system, and you give them a little bit their own identity and their own behavior, and they, they will act by themselves. And because every of these agent behaves um, after a similar way, you you expect based on the hypothesis that a greater pattern emerges. That, that you then want to uh, analyze, basically. Right. So, and they, here they do, um, uh, uh, because it, you know, it's complex system modeling and agent-based models, they, they, what they do here in this, what they, what they describe, they have a basically, um, a new validation approach. So where they look at the networks for agent-based modeling, uh, a testing. Which is then, which is called NEAT, N-E-A-T, Networks for Agent-Based Modeling okay. Testing. Okay. So, and it, um, looks, of course, at the spatial side of things that can then be measured and how, how the, within this, um, system, which is sort of modeled as a dynamic spatial network in the city of Vancouver to, to model the spread of influenza. Right. So again, I, I, yeah, I just noticed that the article is published uh, this April, uh, so it's not very, very old. It's quite recent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, was, it was, as you see in the in the um, stats in the top line, it was submitted last year in July. I mean, the, the 
publishing process takes a while. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. So, but it's most curiously even more topical now. Yeah, right? it's very. I didn't know that, but um, it would pretty probably be worth uh, if um, you know if if you would uh, now go and use this. And it the thing is, of course, it is um, a validation method. So, mm -hmm. like with those um, dynamic models, it's uh, you know you can put everything in, and then you right. see what pattern emerges, but you don't really know if the model is correct or not. Right. Right? It's like with all those dynamic, you know, where you simulate, it's like a simulation. Yeah. And in, in order to um, to see if your simulation is good, then you have to be able to validate. And you know, so, so this is a validation. So this is particular for validation. I mean, in science, it's always good to be able to actually validate, mm -hmm. you know, what you're simulating. It's great that if you write you know, some agents and they do something and you think the rules are very logical, so what comes out must be must be right, but there might be some systemic errors that you haven't been aware of or that comes through maybe your modeling program or maybe you simplified or made some assumptions where you shouldn't have or you made some things over complex and then there were some weird interactions that you didn't anticipate that sort of made the whole thing go bad. Right. So that's why this validation is really important. So they validated on the flu, which is good because they can test that every year. And if, 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 that, if they have an agent-based model that spreads, uh, that, that models virus spreading, such as respiratory virus, you know, like influenza, yeah. might be very well applicable for the spread of corona. Corona as well, yeah. Except that you have to change a couple of variables, for example, because Corona is more contagious, mm. has this higher R ratio. But technically, if, if you would have a good influenza model, let's say, for your city or how it is in your country, maybe is even, there's maybe, it's maybe too, depending how big the country is and, you know, yeah. you know, like Tobler's law, some things, everything is sort of related, but the things that are closer are more related. So being able to model it in a city based on the city spread yeah, and population density. Quite quite a good size because mm -hmm. these processes are really well connected. And then you could say how COVID would spread in a city. Oh that's cool. Yeah. I hope that some some at least if not country, some city use this and yeah, they can show some positive measurement. Right. So the, the second one, um, because we were also talking last week about, you know, um, Twitter mining and right. how it can understand human geography, social science processes with Twitter data. So here in the International Journal of Geoinformation is a recent article that was received in March. So this, this journal has really a high sort of publishing rate. Right. A citizen spatial footprint. Uh, again, like we also talked in the, in the, in the beginning, for example, in events, uh, major earthquakes, for example, and then looking at spatial and temporal, um, patterns of Twitter posts, mm -hmm. because people post on Twitter and then depending again, how, how much information you can gain from, from, um, in terms of spatial analysis, 
So let's quickly scroll through because it would again be very interesting how they took the data. So yeah, I think they, they provided even a, a very generic model here, which is uh, data acquisition and data tidying, then the overview of the data. Yeah, I was just wondering because we were talking, so here ah. it says, it takes the Twitter API to download georeference tweets. Okay. So here you go. So they already ingest georeference tweets. The geotweets downloader. Yeah, that's the thing. It is already quite old, but it, people seem still to use it. So I put it here in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Um, just here directly under this. So the tool is already there. It's on, it's on the tool is on GitHub and it yeah. is, uh, a, a based on, on Java. Okay. And you, yeah. And so the thing, what you do with it is basically you use the Twitter API and what they do here again, as I explained last time, so GTD has acquired data during the year 2018 with the bounding box of Istanbul. So this whole thing is about Istanbul. Okay. And again, the Twitter thing, you cannot search too far in the back. So what they have done, they basically have had it running uh -huh. and collecting based on the current searches um, with an account to search Twitter. But it, as you don't get the history, you know, you right. don't get right. the last 10 years of geo tweets from Istanbul. It's right. They just don't give it. So that what they did, they, they kept it running and loaded the actual events over a course of a year and then they analyzed the data. Okay. It's more like um, uh, a response to recent event rather than a very historical analysis of data. Yeah, it's it's again, it's quite academic and it's similar with the agent-based model because you have to, if you want to make a model, but I think this is really just a hindsight um, analysis. Um, so they analyze, you know, um, in which events sort of um, and in which times of the day people were tweeting. Right. There's on a, on monthly and so this is a classic nice analysis. Yeah, I mean the 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 paper is called spatial footprint. So it's literally the spatial footprint of people on Twitter. In, in, <laughs> um, in for Istanbul. Okay. For Istanbul. So you, but but the interest, but it's helpful in those type of um, papers is that it helps you to understand how to work with Twitter data and if you maybe there are trends and, and interesting things that they were not aware. Maybe only mm. people in the east of Istanbul tweet and in the west they don't. Yeah. And then you would have to find why why don't they you know, why not? Yeah. And then, then you would have to look into social economic issues again. You would think yeah. although phones nowadays is isn't an issue. Even the cheapest phones can have Twitter and they would do yeah, it. Of course. Maybe actually in those area and social lower areas people will do it. Maybe in rich, rich people maybe don't do it. Who will, I don't know. So that's. Yeah, it, it has different dynamics, I think. Exactly. And, and they analyzed, uh, so if anybody is interested in the spatial Twitter dynamics of uh, Istanbul, then that's the, that's the paper. Mm -hmm. Then the next one is, um, is, it's a bit more generic. It's, it's not so, so immediately important. It's, but it's also quite recent, February. And uh, it's a citizen-centric approach for the improvement of territorial services. So, so what this is with territorial services is usually, you know, from from government agencies. Um, 
sorry, I, I actually don't have any idea, like, well, what are the services, like, uh, which are considered no, as... as um, uh, especially the services that, that the government provides. provides, yeah. So, and this, this can, territorial means really for services based on a county level or municipality level or on a higher level. And so these are the territories that are meant here. And of course, um, something like, you know, civil protection, you know, and, and those, those things, right, right? Right. So, so you're sort of getting the, the, the type of service, you know, like, so that the agencies have to look after municipality or, or county level or on a larger level. And typically the way how they implement certain services, like civil protection, hospital care, I don't know, those type of things. Yeah. Uh, is purely government from, from either from the elected government or just from management side. So in here they, they, they look at, um, a citizen-centric approach to to improve some of those services, and um, this is probably a case study based on where are we? Open government paradigm, yeah, exactly geo big data. But where? Which area? Which area is it? Come on, <laughs> we're geographers. We need to know. Right? Can we get a map? Okay. <laughs> It must be something Spanish or or Polish. yeah, but by the name it seems Maria Rossi and this dashboard. No, this doesn't have anything. Servizi, maybe it's cittadino, maybe it's Italy. Me, okay, okay. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the author's names are no, no, it's Syria. I mean, all the authors are from Cristiano, Italy. Okay, University of Salerno. Antonio de Piano. Giuliana Vitiello, okay, here we go, okay, that was not so complicated. So the, the point is they do basically some approaches, they describe some some approaches and um, to have more civil participation in, in those in those um, decision-making processes. Interesting, so in Tartu, for example, may I also mentioned that the, the other day, there's a, in, in Chartu, for the Chartu city government, there's always, every year, there's a certain budget put aside for certain, for certain people activities and, and so, so they look at this, at the, at the, also at the spatial, spatial way. And, and their use case is civil protection because this is Italy and, and the app that they're developing, which are, is supposed to interact with the government agency, is to have a more direct, you know, link between the people and the city. Yeah, and the city. Because, <laughs> because you know what? The city is basically 10 kilometers from the Vesuv volcano. Ah. So there's earthquakes and, of course, volcano. Um, there's certainly the need for, for yeah. linkage. So uh, you know, that, that is pretty good. That's, that's, that's why, in particular, their scenario is uh, civil protection. Oh. Yeah. So, but basically, it's about an app, you know, that links the people and the government and spatial service, spatial data and services into a um, into sort of, and then they describe how they model the public as different units, like on a neighborhood level, on a on a family level. Right. Right. 
how information flow should go, and so on and so on. And this is, it's, it's, it's always nice, those type of uh, case studies. Yeah. All right. The last two ones are again quite, quite human geog I mean, geography in terms of, um, there's a contagion process <laughs> describing the traffic jam. So this is now in reverse. So here they are not modeling contagion process of diseases, but um, with some spatial stuff, but instead they're using a model from contagion process um, for traffic jams. Because traffic jams have really curious properties. You know, you know, traffic jams can even on, on a straight road with no obstacles, with a steady flow of cars, there can happen traffic jams out of the blue. <laughs> How does that happen? Um, for example, if one person looks out of the window and drives a little bit slower, because, because ah, okay. and for so the cars, you know, this becomes like a wave that that um, propagates backward. Right, right. Out of the blue, the cars get slower because then every car has to brake, right. and this thing um, already induces even more awareness and braking into the car behind. So this whole thing becomes like a, like a chaotic process, like a self-reinforcing process. Yeah, you know? kind of a snowball, snowball effect. Yeah, I, I think I don't want to go too much into, into detail here. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, they do, they do it quite scientifically, you know, it's a very, very complex. But it's also then, it's a nature, um, communications. So right. <laughs> it's a, on a higher level, really. It's, it's very, Dynamics and simulation and differential equations and, but it's, it's curious how they model that based on the traffic spread, uh, the spread of traffic jam in, in Melbourne. So this is in Melbourne. Okay. Yeah, and how those things suddenly propagate around. And I mean, it might be interesting to you know for, for traffic planners and, and, and even for, for, for real, real time prediction in terms of that you have but suddenly, oh, in this area, now suddenly it's a traffic jam. Maybe there was an accident or uh -huh. there's, for example, routing algorithms or other algorithms can estimate from where traffic's, how they can, in which areas they might propagate, where, how quickly we have suddenly clogged up city center, for example. Right. And uh, the last paper is um, uh, activity space. That really sounds that our researchers could also have done right. in the U.S. So I know that, for example, Daiga is also working on activity spaces mm -hmm. and um, using multiple geographic scales using mobile phone data. So, and but this is a here Chinese study from the city of Zhuhai City. So and uh, so it's, it's not it's not Wuhan at least. <laughs> 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 Zhuhai City, Guangdong Province. Which is um, in the south, really in the south, really close to um, Hong Kong. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So this is where it is. It's it's ah, oh, it's part of Macau. Did you know that? Yeah, I, I can see the Macau there. The... Yes, on the other side of Hong Kong. Yeah, Macau is <laughs> Macau is, uh, is also like a special area, I think. And this type of um, activity space is. This is really, um, if I remember correctly how Daya explained it, so this is um, about exposure and in, in which areas people are um, spending time. 
dwelling, recreation, work, and transportation. These are sort of the main areas, sort of, and then they look in different patterns and and then they correlate activity spaces and the built environment. So space and the movement. So in which which activities do they in which parts of the city, for example? So this is this is really a really good classical sort of type of um, study uh, to to look at dynamic the city and exactly where the people's time to what. This is really important for city planners and for all sorts of other things. Okay, so with that, I um, conclude the research section. Uh-huh. So that brings us to our ending of this episode. So, yeah, dear listeners, this concludes our episode today. Like everywhere, please like, share, and subscribe. We'd also be happy if you have some feedback for us. See you in the next episode.